not bring him here for you to try to hook up on him. We brought him here so that he would bring the word of God. So y'all welcome up, Vance. Well, that was quite an introduction. How are you guys feeling tonight? I felt like it was something special in worship tonight. How do you guys feel? Yeah. Jamal, he was going off. But, um, but yeah, I was in the contender drama. If you guys saw that, um, shout out to Mom Mayo. She did an amazing job putting that together. And it, <laughs> it was an honor. Honestly, it was an honor to be able to be a part of it um, just because it was so relevant to my life. It was about fighting and contending to keep moving forward and keep getting to where God has for you. And I can relate to that in just about every stage of my life, whether I was fighting for my own dream and my own goal, and then afterwards fighting for where God was trying to bring me. So I thought that it was super appropriate that we're in this series on Joshua. And when David told me that we were going to be doing um, a series on the book of Joshua, I loved the idea, and I went and I just studied the book of Joshua for the entire month. And what I saw was the book of Joshua is not about the life of Joshua. It is about a generation that is moving into and stepping into what God had promised to them and what God had prepared for them. And so this is a generation that's stepping into destiny. And I think that that's something that's relevant to all of us, because how many of you guys have a dream? Do you guys do you guys have a vision for your lives where you want it to go? I think we all do. So I just thought that it was super appropriate that we're watching a generation step into what God has for them. And I think that it was very appropriate that this message is going to us because we are a generation that is going to be stepping into and we are stepping into something that God set up for us a long time ago. Do you guys believe that? I honestly and genuinely believe that. So as I was researching this, I'm seeing that they're stepping into the promised land, right? And so the first question in my mind was, why did God promise them a land? Like of all the things you can promise somebody, why a land and how is that relevant to anything? And I think that's going to speak to you guys heavily tonight. So I just want to pray over it. God, I just thank you for bringing us here tonight. Lord, I thank you for speaking to us about our destiny. God, I thank you that you have already prepared a place for us long before we got here, God. I thank you that you've given me thought after thought and revelation and understanding into where you are taking us, God. And I just pray that you would just decrease me and increase in me, that you would just flow out and speak to your people, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, in order to understand where these people were going to this promised land, I think that it's really important to be able to understand where they came from. So, I'm like backtracking and digging through the scriptures, and I go to where God promised it to Abraham initially, and he promised them a land. But then I'm like, but why still did God promise Abraham a land? I didn't fully understand it. So I really felt like God was leading me all the way back to the very, very beginning in Genesis. And so 
In Genesis 1.28, God had created Adam and Eve, and it says that God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Right before he put them there, he said, it says that no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So we see that God created the earth. Then he created a person. God created a place. And then he created a person. So he created a place that had resources, it had an assignment, and it had stuff that needed to be done. And then he created the person to do it. And I believe that for all of our lives, that God does not create the person and then come up with an idea for their lives. He didn't create you and then think, well, let me make them like able to sing or able to draw and then, you know, see what happens. No, he created a place that was necessary for you to be there. And that is why he created you. <laughs> I believe that. And I believe that for my own life. So I heard a lot of times growing up, just in different songs, like that we were created to worship God. And I think that that is a lot of our understanding that God created us because he wanted worship. And I think that a lot of us have like this narcissistic perspective of God, that God is just all about himself, just wants glory. He created you because he wanted glory and he wants relationship with you because he wants glory. And I don't believe that God had glory way before he created us. And he had he did not need worship. He did not need anything. It said that he created a place and then he created a person and told them he didn't say, all right, now get on your knees and worship me. He didn't. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So he created those people, gave them an assignment, and then he was there with them. So this place that he created had purpose for them and his presence was there. And I believe, like I said, that for all of us. So fast forward, Adam and Eve, they sin we all know the story. They eat the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. They fall. And then relationship with God is severed. And immediately they are removed from the place that God created for them. So he put them in the garden. First thing that happens after they sin is they are then separated from God. And so the reason that I believe God had me backtrack that far is because that was the foundation for everything that we're talking about tonight. They were separated from God. They were removed from a place of purpose, a place of fruitfulness, a place where his presence was. But how many of you guys know that God is a good God? He is. And because he's a good God, he already had a plan to bring them back. And something that I think is really important for us to understand is when God wants to do something really big, he starts really small. So when he said, let us create man, he wasn't talking about a man. He was talking about mankind. Let us create mankind in our image. Now we have about 8 billion people on the planet, but he started with one. 
And God foresaw that there would be billions and wanted billions. That's why he told them, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth and fill it. But he started with one. And he's put that process all throughout the universe. When you want a tree, you start with a seed. And that seed has to be cultivated and grown into a tree, which then produces fruit that has seeds that falls on the ground and then produces more fruit and more trees and creates a forest. So when God wants a forest, he starts with a seed. When God wanted to do something really, really big, he started with you. Seriously. And the more that we can understand that, And the more we can understand that process, the more we can be at peace with where God has us in our lives. When we understand that it's a process that he's taking us through, not to punish us, not because we made mistakes, not because we're doing something wrong, but because he has a plan that is big and a plan that is good and a plan for you to prosper. But there's a process getting there. So he starts small. By starting with one man. When he wanted all of humanity, he started with one man. He started with Adam. When he wanted to bring all mankind back to him, he started with one man. He started with Abraham. And he says, I'm going to grow and cultivate a people out of Abraham. And ultimately, that people group produced Jesus. And Jesus is the savior of the world. So when God wanted to bring all of mankind back to himself and redeem all of mankind, he started with Abraham. And now in the timeline, we are fast forwarding to a place where after God creates a large people group out of Abraham, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons and they produce a bunch of people. And these people are now in Egypt and at not necessarily any fault of their own. They are under oppression. And they're under bondage. They are under slavery in Egypt. And God sees them. So the next scripture we're going to is Exodus 3, 7 through 8. When when the Lord appears to Moses and he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down. To rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So now we're seeing the plan begin. And what I want us all to think about right now and understand is that the Old Testament is so important because there are what's called types and shadows of what's going to happen in the future. And this is a shadow and a type of what God is going to do for all of mankind. So the situation we see them in is the situation that all of mankind, all of humanity is in at some point. Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were, written, they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So we are supposed to learn from their experiences. We are supposed to understand what God is doing through what God did. So that's why it's so important to read your Bible. For real. So 
Egypt. Egypt is a place of bondage. I don't know where you're at in your life, but I will tell you what Egypt looked like in my life. So about, I guess it's almost 10 years ago now, is when I started on the journey of trying to pave my own path, and I wanted to pursue a career in music. So while I was in college, I bought my own studio equipment, you know, all that stuff, and started pursuing a career in music. Fast forward over the next five years, I was all in, completely devoted to seeing my dream come to fruition and seeing the vision for my life come to fruition, wanting to make that come to life, wanting to experience all of that. So I had some successes in there, some, you know, radio and, you know, all that stuff. But in 2013, at what looked like was about to be the culmination of that plan, it looked like I had reached exactly where I was trying to go. I was signing a deal and all that stuff that you want to do when you're doing music. And the deal ended up falling, falling flat, completely removed. And afterwards, I didn't know what to do or where to go. And that's ultimately what happens to us. Sometimes we're in seasons that are bondage that we don't realize are bondage. We're in seasons where we are enslaved and we actually think that we're free. We actually think that this is our best life. For real. Because for me, music was everything. I wanted to be at the top. I wanted to make the money. I love the experience of being able to, you know, make a song, really enjoy it, hear it back. Just the whole creative process I love. But I never really consulted with God about where he wanted me to go with it. And to be honest, I didn't consult with him because I didn't think I wanted to hear what he had to say. I thought that God would want me to change directions. And I'm like, if I'm going to be real, real, I'm like, God's probably going to want me to do like gospel music. And (laughs) for real, that was my idea of what was going to happen if I really sat down and asked God. He'd be like, yeah, gospel. (laughs) And I wasn't interested in doing that. So instead of giving him a chance to actually tell me the plan that he had for my life, I just decided to take it into my own hands. And at a certain point, no matter How much success you find, no matter how many achievements you make, when you are separated from God, you will always get to a point where you realize it. And you will always get to a point where you realize that you need him. And this was the point for me where everything that I was building, 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 everything that I was giving my affections to and my energy and my efforts to crumbled And I was back just broke. And that was a little over exactly five years ago. And that summer, I was invited to victory by my sister. I sat in V1, and I heard a message on the Lord's Prayer, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I heard something that... I wanted that I didn't realize that I really wanted. And after that, because I didn't really have anything to do, I was at the church nonstop. I was here at Fusion, (laughs) 
I'm for real. I didn't have anything to do. So I was in here as many days out of the week as possible. I was here at Fusion. Um, I was, man, I would travel to different churches if there was no service going on here. But I was taking classes here. I took the leadership class, spiritual warfare class. I took all types of classes. This is before we have forward. And so I was just in here as much as I could be. And that's when I started to taste and see really what God had and that it was so much better than what I was going after before. And I remember in this period of time when I would be in the car and I'd be like riding to here and I was just getting like familiar with worship music and, you know, especially contemporary Christian music. I hadn't heard it until I came here. And so I would have like these seasons when I first started getting serious about God where it would be like one song that I would just listen to all the time. And the first one was Holy Spirit by Kim Walker. Woo! Kim Walker played such an important part in my salvation. It is ridiculous. But I remember like riding in the car and listening to Kim Walker and listening to that song, Holy Spirit. And I would start, you know, experiencing the presence of God, like, I'd start being like, yo, I'm about to tear up. Like, for real. Like, I'd be riding to church with my best friend and, like, legit about to cry sometimes. And it was crazy, and it was a foreign experience to me. But experiencing that made me not want anything else. So, like, even for myself in terms of making music, I didn't know what I was going to do moving forward, but I had a real moment with myself where I said, if the music that I make doesn't do this, what's the point? For real, like entertainment is awesome, but I needed something more for my life because life is short and we need direction. And this was giving me direction. This was giving me something to live for, something to move forward with. So I was in bondage at first, didn't realize it, and I get saved. Like God said, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of bondage and slavery, the slavery that I was into my own sin, the slavery that I was into my own dream and my own vision, that I wasn't able to move forward and really be fruitful in the way that God wanted me to because I was so stuck on what I was doing. So I was making achievements. I was working, 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 but I wasn't able to be fruitful because being fruitful is using what God has deposited inside of you, cultivating it, and then it growing and contributing to others. A tree does not eat the fruit that it makes. A tree produces fruit that benefits other people. And all I was doing was benefiting myself. And I would come up with ideas of like how this is going to benefit other people and why God would approve of it. Like, yo, when I get money, you know what I mean? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for people. And I was like trying to negotiate with God, but God doesn't negotiate. So he waited till I like wrecked my life and was like, all right, are you ready? And then I came to him. And then step two that he leads me into is a wilderness. So season two, it's crazy. Exodus 13, 17 says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, though that was shorter. 
For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So what had just happened was that first scripture that we were reading where God said, I've seen my people crying. I've, I've seen their suffering. He says that to Moses. Moses goes to Egypt. God does a bunch of miraculous stuff in their lives. And until Pharaoh lets them go out of their slavery, out of their bondage, and their first taste of freedom is about to happen. And the first thing that God does is he's like, ah, there's a way to get there that's shorter, but that's not going to be what's best for them because they might see some stuff that makes them want to turn around. So I'm going to take them the long way and build a relationship with them. And that is what he does in all of our lives. When God tells us that he's taking us somewhere, he says, I want to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and take them, you know, into this land flowing with milk and honey. As soon as they leave Egypt, they're like, bet, we're going to the land of milk and honey. And they think it's going to happen like this. And that's what we all do. God says, yo, I have a big plan for your life. You're going to be doing amazing things. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to be purposeful, significant. And you're like, okay, bet, let's do it. And then it's not there yet. And it's a wilderness. But the most important thing to understand about that, because some of you guys might be in a wilderness in your lives. We all go through the wilderness because it's necessary. The most important thing to understand about the wilderness is you're not there by mistake. So if things are looking crazy around you after you're walking with God, it's not because you messed up. There's a process that God takes us through. And so many of us think that because we're walking with God, things are supposed to be great now. And we're not supposed to face challenges. We're not supposed to have hardships. We're supposed to have peace that surpasses understanding. And that's it. But then as he grows you, you start to realize that you are supposed to have peace that surpasses understanding. And it surpasses understanding because it's a crazy circumstance and situation. Or else if you just had peace because everything is great, that doesn't surpass anybody's understanding. The second thing to understand about the wilderness is what he says in Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5. He says, remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The wilderness is necessary to discipline you. When God wants to grow a tree, that seed, the first place that it goes, he creates a seed and then puts it underground. And there is pressure, there's darkness, there's confusion going around because the seed, if the seed had a brain, would be like, I'm a tree. It doesn't think I'm a seed. It thinks I'm a tree. So why am I underground? Trees are not underground. God, you told me I was a tree, but I'm underground. 
seriously. I'm telling you this because that's how I feel all the time. I'm like, God, you told me I was supposed to be this and that, and what am I doing? For real, this wilderness for me has been just an interesting journey. After music, I ended up uh, getting a job uh, working for a logistics company, and it was on a track to be very, very successful, but I was at a place where in order to be successful at that position, I was going to have to compromise some of my morals. So after music, I'm like, yo, I'm about to be rich, and then it crashes, and then I'm back in this position, and it's building back up, and I'm like, yo, I'm about to be successful again. Thank you, God. This is where I'm going to see all the stuff that you told me that I was going to have. And then, long story short, I ended up having to walk away because God was not trying to negotiate or compromise. He wanted to use that place that he brought me to build something in me, to teach me something, but that was not the end. And sometimes that's really, really difficult for us to deal with, is the place that we're at, we're always trying to rush through and rush through and get to the destiny, to the promised land. And God is like, I'm taking you this way for a reason. I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to grow something in you. And it requires some patience. So if you are in the wilderness, there are some important things for you to understand about how to navigate that time. Understand, like I said, that you are there because of God's plan and not your own mistakes. And understand that there are lessons to be learned here. Focus on learning what God wants to teach you, not on trying to get out of it. Because you didn't put yourself there. Sometimes you think you put yourself there. And that's why you're trying to get out of it. And you're trying to work, 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 work. God, I got to get this stuff together. I got to get my life together so I can get out of this wilderness. And God is like, I'm getting your life together by having you in the wilderness. And so if you just focus on learning what God wants you to learn in this wilderness, it will be a much more peaceful ride. So, unfortunately, a lot of the people who God was taking through this wilderness did not understand that. And they grumbled against God non-stop. They complained against God non-stop. God, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? You told us that you were taking us to the promised land. You about to leave us out here to die. Blah, 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 blah. All that stuff and all the stuff that you tell God when things are not moving as fast as you want them to move. That's what they were saying to God. When things don't look how you want it to look, how are you addressing God? Because After a while, God started saying, I heard what you said, and I'm tired of it. (laughs) This is the Bible. I'm so serious. He's like, I'm tired of it. They kept saying, you're about to leave us out here to die. You're about to leave us out here to die. You told us that you were taking us somewhere. Where is this place? Where is this place? Ah, Moses, you done brought us out of Egypt. At least we had food there. We out here waiting on bread to rain down from the sky. This is crazy. I don't want to be here. And they just complained and complained and complained. And eventually, God was like, 
All right, so everybody who's over the age of 20 who's seen everything that I've done uh, in this wilderness, who saw all the miracles that I performed in Egypt, but yet you've complained and you've grumbled against me 10 times after seeing all of the things that I've done for you, I'm going to let you have what you said you're going to have, and you are going to die here in this wilderness. Because I'm trying to take you somewhere. (laughs) It's real, though. (laughs) God said, I'm trying to take you somewhere, and I'm using this time to build trust and build relationship with you. But instead of doing that, instead of wanting to have a relationship with me, all you're doing is thinking about yourself and what you want. And you complain and you complain and you complain. And so after a while, he's like, all right, I'm going to just leave you there. That's it. So (laughs) that's really what happened. Like they ended up dying there. And then afterwards, the next generation, the people who were younger than 20 years old, God is like, all right, everybody who was complaining, they're dead. And, (laughs) yo, I'm so serious. This is really the story. He's like, all right, they're dead. Now it is time for you to enter into this promised land because God is still going to honor his word. He made a promise to Abraham that his ancestors would inherit a land and they would be brought to a place where they could be fruitful, where they would have purpose and where his presence would be. And he decided to honor that promise. So right before they step into the promised land, well, actually right after they have, they had just crossed the Jordan River, which was that first step into the promised land. Lord, the Lord said unto Joshua in Joshua 5, 9, today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. And if you don't know what reproach means, because I didn't, (laughs) I Googled it. And it means disgrace and shame. So right before God brings them into this place where he's promised for them, he tells them, you need to understand that I've removed your shame. Because when Adam and Eve fell and sinned, the first thing that they experienced was shame. They went and they hid, and God's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and he's like, Adam, where are you? And they're like, we hid because we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? And he's like, why are you ashamed? So I just felt like somebody in here needed to hear that Jesus came down to rescue you from everything that was holding you in bondage and you are free when you receive that and accept that and just because you're walking through a wilderness or a difficult time does not mean that he has left you it does not mean that he's forsaken you it does not mean you've messed up it means that he loves you and he wants to process you and grow something in you and he has removed your shame So, Exodus 3.8, the last part of the scripture where God comes to Moses and tells him 
what he's about to do for the Israelites. It says that he's going to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Some of us, we get really annoyed when we're reading and we just see a bunch of names like that. And it's like, what does this mean? Well, what God was saying in that scripture is that this is an amazing place. But just because it is an amazing place that I have prepared for you does not mean that it is void of challenges. Every city that they took in this land had opposition and resistance there. And I believe that this was for a reason. It wasn't that God was just trying to make stuff hard. I know I've felt that way. I have, I mean, just a few months ago, I was saying like, God, every time I get to somewhere where you're calling me, it's so difficult. And it's hard to enjoy sometimes because it's so challenging. What God is saying here is that that is for a reason, and it is growing trust and relationship. They could not take a step. They could not take over a territory and not rely on God for it. So the first place that they took was Jericho. And when God tells Joshua to take Jericho, he says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. He started with, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. And then there was a whole lot of instruction. God, you just told me you delivered this into my hands. This doesn't look like a delivery. <laughs> For real. And that is a lot of times how it looks when God is bringing you somewhere. Because this is what brought faith into it. I've delivered it into your hands, but you're going to have to do some stuff that requires some faith. And what faith does is, one, pleases God. Two, builds relationship with God. When you have somebody, even in a natural relationship, when you have somebody who you can trust, that is what builds a relationship. That is what makes a relationship significant. The fact that I can trust you. The fact that you do what you say you're going to do. Those simple things make for a flourishing relationship. So, God, knowing these things, Knowing what's necessary in a healthy relationship puts a bunch of ingredients into the mix that will cultivate that. So just because you are walking through even the promised land, understand that just because you're facing challenges does not mean that it's a mistake. And I was actually telling this, uh, this whole thing actually to my girlfriend. Shout out. She's watching on Instagram live. So um, I was telling this and she's like, so the promised land has challenges, too. I thought you were supposed to be victorious. And I'm like, correct. 
But how can you have a victory without a challenge? If there is nothing to overcome, where is the victory? So God gave them every land in this promised land, every city. He did what he said he was going to do. But there was an instruction with each step of it. And it was different each time. And they had to rely on him each time. They had to trust each time that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. So, how do we navigate this time? Two things. One, the most often repeated command in Scripture, all of Scripture, is do not fear. And that's the first thing that God said to Joshua when, they were gonna, when he told them that he was going to bring them into this promised land and he was going to lead them, he said, do not fear. And he repeats this so many times throughout Scripture because he knows that that is what we are most prone to. Whenever there is a challenge, whenever there is something that looks overwhelming, we are prone to be fearful. And God gives a command, do not fear. Sometimes we think that fear just overtakes us and we don't have a choice or a decision in the matter. But you actually do have a choice. Do not fear. Simple as that. It doesn't always feel simple, but it's true. Second piece is right after they take Jericho... In Joshua chapter 7, the first verse says, But the Israelites were unfaithful. At the end of Joshua 24, at the end of the book of Joshua in chapter 24, um, God lists all the things that he's done for the Israelites, and he reminds them, I took you from... Abraham, when Abraham and his people were over here worshiping all types of gods, doing all types of crazy stuff, I went and I chose Abraham and I called him to this place and I promised it to him. And then God lists every step of the journey. He talks about when they were in Egypt and how he saved them. He talks about when they were in the wilderness and how he fed them with manna. And he talks about all the things that he's done with them and for them to build a relationship with them. Then he tells them, you're here now. You're here in this promised land and you are in a place that you did not work for. You are in a place that was prepared for you. And this is a picture of all of our experience. If you are in what I would consider Egypt. Maybe you didn't realize that you were in an Egypt situation, but when you're seeing, when you consider that you've been living life on your own terms, or maybe you've been entangled in sin, the Bible says he who sins is a slave to sin. And that is just truth. So if you are in sin, you are a slave to sin. And I know this from my own experience. A lot of times what people will do is they will be in a situation that's maybe contradictory to what God says. 
And because they feel like they can't get out of it, they'll say, well, God just made me this way. And, you know, this is what I have to deal with. And they distance themselves from God. But God says that he's seen the suffering. He's heard the cries and he's concerned about what's going on. And that word concerned in the Hebrew, it's yada. And it means to know, to be aware, to be acquainted with and to be experienced in. And he's saying all those things about their suffering. And so even though he had a big plan for what he was going to do and he had planned to rescue, the first thing that he said is, I understand and I feel you and I'm concerned about what you're going through. Even though I know I'm going to bring you out of this, I still understand what it feels like and I understand your pain. And because I've seen and I've heard, I'm coming down. I have already come down to rescue you out of this situation and to bring you into a better place, a place that I've prepared for you with purpose, where you can be fruitful, where you can experience what I created you for. So if you find yourself in that place, we're about to go into a time of just contemplation and and some prayer. And for you, if you're in that situation, maybe it's time to talk to him about where you're at because he knows, he's heard and he's seen and he knows where you're at and he has already paid the cost for you to get out of there. Maybe you already have made that decision, but you're in a tough place right now and you're in a wilderness season of your life and you need direction. A lot of times when we feel we need direction, it's not so much that we need direction, but we need closeness to God because we could be going right exactly where God wants us to be but we need to be close enough with him to believe that to understand that and to find peace in that after God lists all these things and says I brought you out of the wilderness Joshua says now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we have seen what he's done and will serve the Lord. All God asks after doing all of these things to serve him with faithfulness. And it sounds simple, but that's challenging to throw away the gods of our past, the idols of our past, to throw away what we used to find important, to throw away the gods of the land that we're living in to throw away what they think is important and to serve the God who has cared for us, has rescued us, has heard and cared for us to serve him with faithfulness. And I think that that's a reasonable request 
for anybody in a relationship. If you are in a marriage, faithfulness is expected. And we find it normal. We want somebody to be faithful to us. But then when God asks it, we'd be like, you're asking too much. (laughs) For real. Like, all the time, God asks something from us. And we, I say we because I, that's too much. I was trying to do this over here. And God's just like, man, just be faithful. Like, I've been faithful to you. A lot of times in our generation, we're so tempted to toe the line of sin and we, we want to find out, is this okay to do? Is that not okay to do? Like, will God, you know, get rid of me for this or leave me for that? And I think about it in the context of a relationship. What if you were in a marriage where somebody just keeps asking you, can I do this? If I do this, will you divorce me or not? Like, will you just not like it, but you won't divorce me? Because then I'm going to do it. How would you feel? God is like, I've done all of this for you and all I want is relationship with you. And faithfulness is a reasonable request in a relationship. Faithfulness is what makes a relationship worth being in. Faithfulness is what makes a relationship enjoyable. So he's not just asking for it from you to get something from you. It is necessary for a healthy relationship. And love is ultimately expressed by a choice to be faithful. I hear so many times recently I've heard about people getting divorced, the people around me, and they'll say, I fell out of love. Because they think they fell into love. God, I'm so thankful that God did not fall in love with me. Like accidentally, like, oh, I love you. And then one day he could just fall out of it. No, he chose to love me. And all he's asking for, all he is asking for in response is your choice to love him back. We, we overcomplicate this thing so many times. God, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want that? Just be faithful. Make your relationship being healthy with God your top priority. And everything else will work when you put it through that filter. So I'm going to have the band come out. And I want us all to just take some time to get with God on our own and just contemplate what season you're at in life, whether you're in Egypt and you want to get out. Whether you're in the wilderness and you need to just feel that intimacy, feel that closeness, and you don't want to die in the wilderness because it's a reality. There are plenty of people who have never made it to where God was trying to bring them by their own choice and by their own decision. Because God can lay out the entire plan, but he cannot make you walk. And as I said earlier, maybe you are in the promised land and you need to stay faithful right now. 
And maybe you needed a reminder. Maybe you needed a push. Maybe you needed some inspiration to stay faithful. But I would urge you all, stay faithful. Keep fighting. Because he is going to do what he said he would do. And he is going to bring you where he said he would bring you. And even if it's not on your timeline, even if it's not in the way that you thought that he would, it's better than what you could think. Because he can do more than everything you could ask, everything you can think, everything you can imagine. That's what he has in store for you. So put away, throw away the stuff from your past. Throw away what's going on around you, the storm that's going on around you, and stay faithful to the God who loved you and has brought you to where you are. Thank you.